All right, turn to your Bibles, if you would, to the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John, uh, and um, we're picking it up in chapter 4, verse 43, so we've worked through, um, uh, we're coming to the end of chapter 4, this is, I think, our 27th time in it, um, Gospel of John, chapter 4, verse 43, and this is God's Word. After the two days, Jesus departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, He went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. (coughs) As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live, and he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've got another little video for you. It's an illustration. I don't know if you've seen this. This happened this week. Um, it's kind of a cool rescue. We're not taking a skateboard.
Okay. Well, the first thing we may observe about that, isn't that funny they wanted to take a skateboard? It's probably expensive. If I had a guitar on there, I'd probably want to take my guitar. Um, but the first thing we may observe is uh, that in order for him to be saved, he had to leave everything behind. That's not a bad observation, is it? Uh, he had to leave everything behind. And second, and this is to my point, it is true that the guy who was being saved exercised faith. It is true. He exercised faith in the helicopter. He exercised faith in the rescuer and all that stuff. But faith isn't what saved him, all right? He's on, he's on that thing, and there's wires around, and it's a tight spot, and there's trees and all that kind of stuff. Rushing water, if you've ever been uh, in a stream with, uh, with uh, uh, briskly rushing water, you know the power of water. It's very scary and can be very dangerous like that situation. But um, yes, he put his, he, the guy exercised faith, but faith isn't what rescued him. The rescuer rescued him. Now, he put faith in the helicopter, faith that they could lift it, faith that the guy knew what he was doing, faith that he could be lifted up and all that stuff. But um, faith was the vehicle. You get it? Uh, faith didn't save him. Faith was the vehicle. It was faith in something. That's why we always talk about having an object of faith. Faith's not something that stands on its own. It's some not, some ma- not magical pixie dust. It is belief in something, belief in an object. Faith is the vehicle. And so uh, if we're going to go to our big point today, faith is the vehicle by which we are saved. Now, we're about to see a story of a man uh, who believed Jesus' word of promise. He believed what Jesus said about his son. Um, faith didn't do the saving. Uh, he believed Jesus' word of promise. The Savior did the saving. Faith was the vehicle. And even when Jesus in his, in his ministry says in other places, like Luke 50, um, Luke 7.50, your faith has saved you. Or Luke 18.42, uh, 18, your faith has made you well. He's certainly not saying you cured yourself with your awesome powers of belief. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that faith is in something. Um, when, when Jesus says your faith has made you well, he's saying your, your faith in me. There's an object of faith. So faith, again, is not some standalone concept or magic power. It is belief that the helicopter has the power to pull you out of raging death. And so it is with the gospel. And you can't take anything with you in either situation. Uh, Let's go to our first point. Undercover brother. Let's look at verse 43 together. Um, After the two days... Uh, Jesus departed uh, for Galilee. That, of course, meant that he spent three days in Samaria with this encounter with the Samaritan woman. He sought her out. It was a deliberate mission stop, and it was an interlude. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that more in a second. And uh, that encounter with that woman uh, and her rushing into the city to tell everybody about it, and they come to see Jesus and so on. He spends two more days with them, three days with the Samaritans, a place where the Jews wouldn't go. They hated the Samaritans. Samaritans hated Jews. Jesus ventures into that territory because he loves them and because they need the gospel. That whole thing ends with this awesome verse, verse 42. They say to the woman, the people of the town that she went into, they say, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Now, that is this wonderful footnote of the whole story dangling there as Jesus resumes his his, uh, journey. Um, If you remember back in verse 3 of this chapter, chapter 4, verse 3, it said that Jesus left Judea and departed again for Galilee, all right? It says 
that he departed again for Galilee. He had been there before, and he's gone back to the same place, Cana in Galilee, where he um, uh, performed that miracle at the wedding, his first sign, as John calls it. John calls miracles signs. Um, He performs his first sign, which was turning water into wine. Uh, Now, there's an immediate uh, point of confusion about the passage we're in right now. Because it says after two days, in verse 43, he departed for Galilee. Uh, And then in verse 44, it says, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. Um, That that has been deliberated um, thousands upon thousands of times uh, over many, many years. And by the way, just always just a little uh, just a little pointer for you. Anytime um, you come across something in the scriptures that that makes you puzzle, and you go, "Wait a second, I got a question here. I just don't know what I, what does that mean." Just remember, millions of people have had the thought before you. Just remember that that it's been thought about and written about, and volumes and volumes of books have been have been written and so on. So just remember that. But um, this trips people up for a couple reasons. Number one, it says this. It says Jesus. Uh, testified that a prophet has no, owner in, uh, no honor in his own hometown. But then in verse 45, it says, when he came to Galilee, they welcomed him. So did, did he have honor or did he not have honor? So that's the first thing that trips people up. And the second piece of baggage is this, that in the other three gospels, they mention this prophet having no honor in his own hometown as well. Um, but it's in a different context. Um, in Matthew 13, it says, uh, he did not do my, many mighty works there, Nazareth, his hometown, because of their unbelief. So it's negative. Uh, Mark 6, it says that he could, not, he could do, do no mighty work there, and he marveled because of their unbelief. In Luke 4.29, it says they rose up and drove him uh, to the edge of the hill, the hill on which, upon which the city is built. They, they, they drive him to the edge of it um, so they could throw him down a cliff. Well, that doesn't seem very well received. Here it's saying that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown and the Galileans welcomed him. Now, how does that reconcile with all that? Well, first of all, remember that John's gospel is different than the other gospels. The other gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are called the synoptic gospels. Um, and uh, that sounds like a fancy word, but it's not really not that fancy. Um, if you were to look up a synopsis of a play online or a synopsis of a TV show or something, you would get a summary or you would get an outline, all right? So the synoptic gospels are kind of like that. They follow a similar pattern. They, they tend to tell a lot of the same stories from different perspectives and different words, but they kind of tell the same stories. They, they, they follow the same basic, um, the basic uh, chronology, all right? But John's gospel is different. Um, John's gospel focuses right out of the gate on Jesus' divinity. I mean, right, chapter one, verse one, it is Jesus is divine. Jesus is from eternity. Jesus is the maker. He's the sustainer of the universe. Everything that's been made has been made through him. And so it's, it's different. And so um, um, J- the other thing is John, the writer John, assumes that the reader has a working knowledge of the other gospels. It's a different gospel, all right? So... Um, and, and by the way, also, don't worry, even though it says that they, he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, uh, don't worry, they'll reject him soon enough. In chapter 6, verse 42 of this book, it says, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? All right, so they ain't tracking with him, and check this out. Um, same chapter, chapter 6 of, um, of uh, John. No one can come to me unless it is granted him by the father. That's what Jesus said. 
No one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So don't worry, they do reject Jesus eventually. But without bogging you down with a bunch of theories about, about all this stuff, just remember, why is Jesus going to Galilee? Jesus is going to Galilee. You know, it's a place where he'll be ultimately rejected. But um, let's just take the passage at face value. Remember, it said in chapter four, verse three, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. Samaria was a side trip. It was an interlude in the story. That Samaria is over, <clears throat> and now he's, he's heading back to Galilee. That was the plan. <coughs> and so, why is he going back to Galilee? Well, I think it's a couple things. Number one, I just reflected in my point here, undercover brother, um, in Samaria, he was free, um, freer to, to reveal who he was. <clears throat> I mean, you've got these Samaritan people, excuse me, that are saying that he's the savior of the world. And uh, he is showing them, himself to them, but he's doing so without the fear of religious leadership coming in uh, from Jerusalem. Because Jews don't go into Samaria. <clears throat> well, he's going back to his own hometown also, where a prophet finds no honor. It's probably another place where he can reveal himself a little freely. All right, so that's one thing. But the other thing is this. They need the gospel. The people in Samaria needed the gospel. They were unlikely recipients of this gospel, but they needed Israel's God. Prophet finds no honor in his own hometown. They're a resistant group. They'll reject Jesus utterly. But for the time being, they receive him. For the time being, he has an opportunity uh, to share the gospel with them because they needed it. He did not go in spite of their rejection. He went because of their rejection. All right? They would ultimately reject him. It's true. But he didn't go, oh, well, they're going to reject me, but I'll go. He went because they needed him. He went because they were in rejection mode. Luke 5.31 says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And so the journey uh, terminates uh, here. He says, in, it says in verse uh, 46, he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. All right, let's apply this to our lives. Um, <clears throat> there's a change in the gospel at this point. In fact, a lot of guys who are writing multiple volume sets on the gospel of John will end their volume here and start a new one with chapter five, all right? Because it's kind of a, a break here. Um, <clears throat> even though, <clears throat> excuse me. Yeah, the shift, hang on a second. I'm about to croak here. <clears throat> This shift is often even called the great Galilean ministry, all right? So it's this Galilean period uh, in Jesus' ministry, which takes about 16 months and, and so on. And so there are two signs recorded here by John. <clears throat> so it's interesting. The other gospels have lots of miracles. Matthew is full of parables, but John is a more condensed gospel. I mean, John comes right out of the gate with Jesus' divinity, and then boom, it's right into Jesus' earthly ministry and life. And by the time you get to chapter 13, to the end of the book, you're, you're, you're in the shadow of the cross. I mean, the gospel of John is moving right ahead. You're in the upper room discourse in chapter 13. So it, it, it's interesting that the, the John, the gospel writer, chooses to record two 
miracles, two signs. Out of all the ones that could be recorded, he chooses to record these. He chooses to record Jesus turning water into wine, and he chooses to record the healing of the son of this political official. And uh, the reason that's important is this, and and I find it very encouraging personally. Jesus, in turning water into wine, proves his divinity by showing that he's got power over the created order. Cool? So he's got power over what is, all right? Jesus, in healing this guy's son, shows that his power is not confined to any one place. This man comes to Jesus and says, hey, my son over there is sick, and Jesus is able to heal him without touching him, without making mud to put on his eyes, without saying any, anything. Um, he, he shows his power, his divine power is not confined uh, to a specific place. And so that shows that Jesus is God from all eternity, and um, he's widening his scope, showing that the gospel is for the world. Um, and that's what, that's what John is wanting to portray. Um, and by the way, um, yeah, this same Jesus says in uh, Matthew 7, verse 6, don't throw your pearls before swine. You know what that means? There are a lot of, lot of attempts at t- interpreting that, but I think it's very simple. To not throw your pearls before swine is, to, to take, is not to take something precious and hand it to some gorilla that's going to destroy it, right? So you don't want to take your Rolex and hand it through the cage to the gorilla because he's going to break it, okay? And uh, what Jesus is saying to his disciples is don't take the preciousness of the gospel and try to share it with someone who's vehemently opposed to the gospel and wants to destroy you. Um, He also says in chapter 10 of Matthew, if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake the dust from your feet uh, when you leave that house uh, or town. But the point in all that, ladies and gentlemen, is this. The gospel is available to the world even when it's hostile. And Jesus ventures into the hostile place. Now, ultimately, they'll reject him and he'll leave. But still, he goes. He goes to Samaria. Uh, and I think the message for us when we, when we deal with people around us is go ahead and take the pearls. Have them at the ready. Show them to whoever you can show them to. Now, if a person's vehemently opposed, okay, they're vehemently opposed. I'm not going to try to stuff something down your, your throat that you're not going to want and that you're going to want to destroy me over. But uh, the point is this. Always have the pearls. Always have the gospel message. Be willing to take it into the strange places. Be willing to bring it up. Be willing to see the hurting person or the person with a tragedy in their life or the person with a question in their heart or the employee that's going through a hard thing with their kid. Always be at the ready to have those pearls um, uh, out. Uh, Follow Jesus' example and go into even the hard places until they try to throw you off a cliff. (laughs) All right, second point. Faith. That is faith. Um, verse 46 and 47, looks at, look at it. He comes again to Cana in Galilee, where it made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. And it's, uh, by the word, this word official, uh, he's not some king or anything like that, but he's probably some political ruler guy. He's probably, you know, he's got servants and stuff too, so he's probably affluent uh, and probably in some kind of political, powerful situation of some sort, uh, probably for King Agrippa. But um, it says, um, uh, this official uh, whose son was ill, it says, when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So that's uh, quite, a, quite a potent scene, isn't it? This father urgently is seeking help 
for his dying son. It's potent. And when he presents the problem to Jesus, he says, hey, uh, my son's at the point of death. And by the way, uh, it's real close. It's not, uh, it's, uh, it, it, it's, it's, uh, he's almost dying. And so there's, there's an urgency here. And it, he gets a very strange reply from Jesus. Jesus says in verse 48, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now, the, the first thing you need to know about that is um, that he's speaking in the plural, Jesus is. He's not saying, unless you, Mr. Dude, see signs and wonders, you will not believe. He's saying y'all, which, by the way, who's a transplant to Memphis? Do you guys say y'all? It is the most functional, awesome word. I don't care where I live for the rest of my life. Uh, you know, I go back up to Chicago, and they're like, hey, cowboy Jim, uh, uh, you know, but uh, I'm like, y'all is a great word. It, it, it's, it's the difference between you and you all. Uh, it, it's just a great word. I've even seen it. I've seen that and reckon in some old English uh, writings before, but believe it or not, y'all. Uh, anyway, great word, but the, that's the point. He's saying, Jesus is saying, unless y'all see signs and wonders, y'all will not believe. But even so, isn't that a strange thing to say to this guy? Think about the, the situation. The guy's kid is dying. He urgently approaches Jesus. He seeks Jesus out, and he says, my son is dying. Please come down. Please help him. And Jesus says, unless y'all people, y'all Jewish people here uh, see signs and wonders, y'all won't believe. That's an interesting thing to say. And, of course, by implication, the guy's thrown in the mix too. Now, that may seem harsh to you. And, you know, I was just telling, you know, Das, uh, our our the guy in my office, the guy in the office next to me from, uh, he's in seminary at Westminster, but he's from India, Das uh, Renla. Um, I, I was talking to him about preaching. And I was just kind of going through this, kind of what I do to prepare and all that stuff. And I said, you know, Das, I said, I, I went into ministry at age 34, which is pretty old. Um, and so at age 34, you've been to a lot of churches and you've heard a lot of preachers in your lifetime. And when you sit down to go, Gee, how do you write a sermon? Uh, you know where I started? I started with everything. I, I, I try not to do what I hate. Um, I hate when preachers take off their watch and then look at it and then they run long. You know, don't you hate that? Oh, I shall take off my watch and I went 15 minutes long again. It's like, I hate that. So I try not to do it. Not that I haven't run long, I have. But I hate running long. You know what else I hate? I hate bringing your Bible to church and uh, when the sermon's over, you're like, why did I bring my Bible? You ever been in that situation? Why did I even bring a Bible? Well, I hate that. So I try not to do that, all right? Uh, here's, what else, here's what else I hate. I hate when preachers put a snarky tone on Jesus' words. Like when Jesus is dealing with his disciples. You stupid disciples. I hate that. And I hate putting a snarky tone on this. Um, think about it. Can you imagine the Lord Jesus... A, a, a father whose son is dying comes to him and says, please help my son. And Jesus goes, unless you all see signs and wonders. Blah, 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 blah. I hardly think that's the attitude of the, the sinless savior. Do you? Don't you? I think Jesus is, is he, he's saying this very deliberately too. It says, it says, so Jesus said to him. He's not saying to everybody. He says, so Jesus says to him, unless y'all see signs and wonders, y'all will not believe. Well, here's where it gets jiggy. It's a, it's a challenge to the man. It's a chastisement of Galilean culture, of course, but it's a challenge to the man. Um, and, and what it does is it sets the man up to make a statement of faith. 
Please come down and save my dying son. Lest y'all see signs and wonders, y'all won't believe. And here's where, here's where it gets jiggy. Verse 49, the official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. I mean, it's, it's what Jesus is doing is he's lobbing it over the, he's lobbing it so the guy can go, no, forget them. I, I know signs and wonders, I don't need them. I'm just gonna trust you, bam. And the guy exercises faith and it's a faith that is legitimate. And Jesus says to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. Uh, by the way, uh, to, 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 to make this even more wonderful, um, you know, Jesus says, go, your son will live. Let me read you a few other translations of that. New American Standard, your son lives. Isn't that cool? Go, your son lives. Here's another one. King James, your son liveth. Um, here's another one. Your son is recovered. Here's a literal translation. Thy son doth live. Please, uh, please save my son. He's dying. Oh, unless y'all believe, um, uh, you know, signs and wonders. Uh, you know, if you don't see these, those you won't believe. And he says, sir, I, I do. I don't, I don't care about them. Come, my, my child. Jesus said to him, he's alive. You don't have to worry about it. And the man goes on his way. And by the way, um, it has been calculated that he, he took his sweet time too. He didn't race home. He goes home the next day. He doesn't even race home. He's like, he believes so readily. He says, awesome, my, my son is healed. And he believes. Now, application for your life. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't know about you, but every time somebody calls me, sir, it costs $1,000. You notice that? Oh, uh, sir, you know, they come out from a mechanic thing. Oh, uh, sir, some guy comes out of your attic. He's all sweaty. He's been working in there. Oh, uh, sir. I'm like, stop it. It's just boom, $1,000, $1,000. And so every time somebody calls you, sir, it's $1,000. And, you know, you really, that adds up. And uh, you, have to, you have to really discern whether this person is really, whether you really do need the new compressor uh, or not. You know, I mean, uh, every time for the last, I don't know, 10 years, the AC guy has come out. They're like, I don't like the amp she's pulling. I'm like, well, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> so here's $65 for the Freon and go. You know, you have to discern, you have to discern whether you can believe the person or not. Well, this man has apparently been born again because he hears and he certainly sees this uh, kingdom uh, shaker uh, establisher, uh, he, 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 um, note with his, with his, uh, terminology, uh, his whole eternity hangs on it. It says the man, um, believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. That is the thing, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, faith is not some mystical power. Faith is the vehicle and faith must have an object. And the object of this man's faith is the word that Jesus spoke to him. You know what you believe if you're a Christian? The word that God spoke to you. God opens up his word. You don't become a Christian and go, hmm, I wonder what God is like. Well, I'll invent him in my mind. I wonder what Jesus is like. Oh, I'll get a nice Anglo painting and hang it in my house, and I'll pray to that. No, you don't do that. This is God revealed. 
You put your faith in the word that God has spoken. It is justification by faith alone. All right, our last point. Faith uh, that is forceful. Um, The man, like the Samaritan woman, uh, he could hardly wait uh, to share the reason for his deliverance and and hope. And and so uh, at the same time, we we get a lesson on on belief. Um, Verse 51, as he was going down, his servants met him. So they come out to him, and they, they're excited too, and they tell him that his son was recovering. So he asked the hour when, they began, when he began to get better, and they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. And the father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed. Now, did he believe now or did he believe before? Did he believe more now or, or did he believe enough before? I, I believe that he was born again before, and his, his faith was fortified here. All right, um, but it says that all his household believed, and so the man, like the uh, like the Samaritan woman, um, is uh, is excited, and he is relaying to the, his household, uh, his servants, and so on, um, what has transpired with Jesus, and they they believe too. They believe the word of Jesus' promise. All right, so application for your life: um, the man believed. And then he rested in that belief. In fact, I, I, I thought I had more of the time. I think I do some of it here, a time frame written down. But anyway, um, the conversation took around 1 p.m. Yeah, um, and the journey was only four hours. So the guy, the guy took his time, man. The guy took his time. Um, he ends up coming to the house, and, uh, and um, they come out to meet him, and, and uh, he's, he's rested in what Jesus has said. And uh, we, we, can, we can say that we believe that God is in control and he will take care of us, but it's, a, it's quite a different thing to rest in that belief. Um, when your faith is challenged and uh, when you need to believe the word of promise, we need to, need to believe the Savior, we need to believe that all things work together for good to them who love God and are the called according to his purpose. Um, it's one thing to say, oh, yes, I, that's true but it's another thing to rest in it. And my advice to you is when you need to rest in it, pray that God will give you the grace to rest in it. That night, in that moment, on that pillow, Lord, I'm gonna take this thing and I'm gonna step over the razor's edge and give it to you and rest in your word of promise. Um, last thing is this. Um, one commentator said, um, that this man accepted the word, though he saw no deed. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Uh, Jesus says, your son liveth. And the guy goes, okay. I can't see it, but I believe you. And uh, his belief is exhibited by his behavior. And then he goes to, it's confirmed what he gets to his house. His, his whole household is won over by this uh, by this. Um, um, explanation of his encounter with Jesus. Uh, to close, folks, being rescued um, is, is being on top of that truck with raging water all around you. Um, he would look like a pretty muscular fella. Um, he had a skateboard, so he's probably, has dexterity. Um, and yet he's trapped, raging water all around him. And he's desperate. He's on top of this truck, and there's, there's, no, there's no escape. There's trees here. There's a power line this way. There's more power lines this way. It's a scary thing. The helicopter has to drop the thing in. And what is that guy contributing to the rescue situation? Nothing. 
all he's doing actually is goofing it up with his stupid skateboard. And the, the dude's like, we ain't taking that thing. I bet they have to do that all the time. We're not taking that stupid skateboard, man, or whatever else, your guitar or your cat. We're getting you, man, or it's a no-go. And so this guy has to let everything go, can't take anything with him. And what's happening? The rescuer's going, click, eh, taps and eh, and up it goes. And big muscle man is just, bleh, he's being rescued. I'm telling you, that's the gospel. God comes in, he intervenes, he gets you in the midst of the rushing storm that it will kill you, and he plucks you out. That's the gospel message. And to come to faith in Christ is, is simply this. It is to believe the word of promise that um, God begins a good work in you, a saving work, and he'll be faithful to complete that work. It is to believe that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but we're justified freely by what God has accomplished for us in Jesus Christ. It is believing that Jesus became accursed, that uh, he took the penalty that you and I deserved and as an innocent was able to take it to the cross as a substitute. That is believing the word of promise. Uh, and it is giving up your skateboard and anything else that hinders you and realizing that you've been clipped in and plucked out. <laughs> More next week, let's pray. Father, we um, thank you that you saw fit to come into unlikely places. This whole earth is an unlikely place, and certainly the heart of Jim Umloff uh, was as dark and unlikely and resistant uh, as any. I would have thrown the Christ off the cliff or worse and worse. Um, and yet, in your kindness, oh God, you, you plucked me out. Uh, we pray, Lord, that we would um, revel over the beauty of the gospel. We pray, Lord, that we would find rest because we believe you. Not rest because we mentally ascend to um, truths. Uh, Theology is great. It's, it's wonderful to, to believe things. But, oh God, let our souls find rest, trusting you um, even when we can't see what you're doing. We pray these things in Jesus' name.